Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. And as Ryan said, I am the RUF campus minister. And I am uh, delighted to bring God's word to you this morning during Advent season. I'm thankful that Ryan would let me <clears throat> preach one of these sermons. We have uh, four Advent passages, uh, four stories where angels came to announce the birth of Jesus. They announced the birth to the priest of Jesus and Zechariah. They announced the birth to the mother of Jesus, Mary. We looked at those passages the last two weeks. This week we'll look at them announcing the birth of Jesus to the father of Jesus. And then next week, Ryan will preach on him announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. So uh, we're excited to see what God has for us in each one of those passages. This morning we're going to be looking at the, the father of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18 and read 18 through 25. Please hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Gracious Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for giving us these stories that announce the birth of Your Son, Jesus. We know that they are powerful. We want to believe that they are true. We know they are true. We know that they speak light and life into our dark world. We pray right now that they would speak light and life into the darkness of our hearts. We come with darkened hearts and minds that need the light of Jesus shined into them. We come into a uh, we come with uh, wills and emotions that are disordered by sin, and we need the light of your word to reorder them for us, Father. We come as people who are afraid to be despised and rejected by men, and we need you to give us the courage we need to embrace Christ, and to live as His followers daily. We pray that You would do that now through Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. As Ron said this week, I had the privilege of going to RUF staff training. Uh, RUF staff training is a great time where we spend a week decompressing from the semester, uh, enjoying the fellowship of other campus ministers, and learning. One of our sessions this week that I was in was over evangelism, and missions. Uh, the speaker was a guy named Chad Brewer who has done uh, three or four successful RUF uh, works all across the country. 
And Chad was in charge of sharing with us uh, how he has done evangelism and good suggestions for how he thinks we can do evangelism on our campuses. And, and Chad, really, it was a lot of Chad just sharing stories over and over again about how he had tried to do evangelism. And I was overwhelmed by the number of times he had been rejected. The constant theme in his, uh, his, his stories over and over again was about how he would try to share the gospel and he would experience rejection. There were some times whenever he would try to do it and, and there would be success and people would listen and people would get converted. But there was time after time after time where he was rejected. In one story, he said he decided that he was going to email all of the officers of every fraternity and sorority at the University of Minnesota. So he put together an email saying, hey, I'm Chad, I'm with RUF. If you need a chaplain, I would love to be your chaplain. I would love to talk to you about what that looks like. If you're interested, email me back. He sent that out to 400 students at the University of Minnesota. And not one of them replied with, yes, I'm interested. Several replied with, please don't email me again. Tons of rejection. On the email, he said, hey, if you're interested, meet me at this coffee shop at this time, and I'll talk to you. So he went to the coffee shop that night at that time to, to speak to these students, not knowing if anybody would show up, and one scared little freshman girl showed up to talk with him, and he said it was super awkward. It was about 10 minutes long, and, and they left, and he never heard from her again. Well, a couple weeks later, he thought, I'm going to try again. So he put together another email. Hey, I emailed you, the other, you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Turns out it, maybe it wasn't a great time for you. If you're interested in having me be your chaplain, meet me at this coffee shop at this time, I would love to talk to you about what that would look like. This time, three girls from the same sorority showed up to talk to him, none of which was the girl that he met the first time. She didn't come back. But these three girls came. He, he talked about the gospel. He talked about what it would look like for him to be their chaplain. And they started a Bible study after that in their house where tons of girls came to that Bible study week after week to hear the gospel, and some of them got converted, and it was a great ministry. But as he was telling this story, I thought, that's great, but I don't know if I could handle that much rejection. Like, how in the world did you put yourself out there time and again and experiencing rejection for the gospel? Have you ever felt that rejection of the gospel? Have you ever felt yourself, put yourself out there for an evangelistic conversation? a Bible conversation, some sort of spiritual conversation only to be rejected. Or maybe it's not evangelism, but maybe it's just like you, you felt like you had a conviction about how you were supposed to live your life according to the Gospel, and when you lived that out, people were offended and they rejected you. Maybe it's something you did at work. Maybe it was something you did at a Mother's Day out. Maybe it was something you did at school. But you really were trying to live out the life of the Gospel and you were rejected. If you're like me, you've probably experienced that, and you're wondering, how, would I, how do I get the courage to live out the gospel in my everyday life? What does it look like to have courage? What does it look like to uh, faithfully share the gospel or live out a gospel life on a day-by-day basis? I think it's important that we look at this passage in the context of Christmas um, because in our culture, it's not hard for us to live out maybe a Christian life or a spiritual life during Christmas. People are celebrating Christmas all around us, aren't they? The challenge is not living out Christmas on Christmas. 
It's living out Christmas the other 364 days of the year. It's that courage that we need. So we're going to turn to the life of Joseph and we're going to look at it. And what I want you to see is this. that In the story of Joseph, Joseph, we see how the Gospel transforms us from cowards to courageous. We see how the Gospel makes us more courageous followers of Christ to live out the Christian life all year long and not just on Christmas. Alright, so we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the call of Joseph, the confidence of Christ, and the courage of Joseph. The call of Joseph, the confidence of Christ, and the courage of Joseph. The first thing I want you to see is the call of Joseph. I want you to see what the angel was actually calling him to do. Look back to the text. And you see the angel comes to Joseph. Right? It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So at this point, they knew that she was pregnant. It was out there. It was public. She knew that it was from the Holy Spirit. Maybe not everybody else. But at least it's out there that she's pregnant. And it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph knew that she was pregnant. He knew that this was going to bring shame and disgrace. He knew that she... she had violated the law, or at least he thought. Maybe she said, hey, the angel came to me and said I'm pregnant, with, but it's from the Holy Spirit. Like, it, I didn't sleep with anybody. I'm still a virgin. And, I mean, let, let's, not, let's not get, like, arrogant. Like, they knew how babies were made. They knew where babies came from. For her to say that she was with child from the Holy Spirit was an audacious claim. It was ridiculous. Remember, these were Jews. People who thought that God was holy and transcendent. That He was one. So if God is holy and transcendent and one, how would He defile Himself to come to a virgin? So they wouldn't have believed her. They would have just thought, she's pregnant. She's been immoral. And Joseph thinks the same thing. But he seems like a decent guy. It says that he's just. He wants to uphold the law. He knows that the law says that you shouldn't be immoral before you're married. In their culture, if you were betrothed to somebody, that meant you were intended to be married, but there was a longer engagement process than we have right now, and much stricter. Her uh, being immoral during their betrothal would have meant that he would have had every right to cut off the engagement. He knows he, he knows he needs to do that, but he doesn't want to put her to shame. So he's going to divorce her quietly. But look what the angel tells her to do. Look what the angel calls him to do. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel is calling Joseph to bear the public shame and disgrace of staying married to Mary. Of being married to an immoral woman. And not only that, he is calling Joseph to adopt Jesus as his son. That might sound like nice and pretty, but you've got to understand, these were Jews. This was immorality. They thought Jesus, Jesus would have been a bastard child to them. right? This would have been Joseph 
publicly uniting himself to somebody who had been immoral. This would have been disgraceful and shameful. For him to accept Mary and the baby would, it, would mean that he was uh, possibly rejecting his family. He could have lost his family. He could have lost his business. He would have lost his moral standing. It would have cost him everything socially, morally, financially to accept this baby and to accept this wife. The angel's calling him to bear the shame of marrying Mary and adopting Jesus. What does that mean? It's something that we see all through the New Testament, all through the Bible, that following Jesus, receiving Him, means being willing to accept public shame and public disgrace. The call of the Gospel, the call to follow Christ, is one that peop- that's going to bring you into rejection. right? When Jesus is about to send His disciples out, He says, So everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I will also acknowledge Him. I will also acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny before My Father in heaven. Jesus is saying that if you're going to go out, you're going to be persecuted. And you can't deny Me in front of those people. You're going to be rejected. And if you reject Me, then I'll reject you. And then He goes on to say, whoever loves father or mother more than Me is not worthy of Me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than men is not worthy of Me. And whoever does not take up His cross and follow Me is not worthy of Me. He's saying that to embrace Him, you have to be willing to be rejected by everybody else around you. Father and mother, brother and sister, friends, co-workers, everybody around you. You have to be willing to be rejected by them to embrace Christ. Paul says that he is not ashamed of the Gospel. And I know even as a Gospel minister, there have been, minister, there have been times when I have felt ashamed of the Gospel. Paul's saying we should not be ashamed of the Gospel. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Christ is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, He is salvation. Christ, The Christ that we embrace, the, the baby that we embrace at Christmas is actually going to be like folly to the world, and they're going to reject Him. That means they're going to reject us in the process. Following Christ for us means being willing to embrace the rejection of the world, to face the rejection of the world. And that is really hard for us, especially for religious people, because we suffer from a fear of man. Maybe you've heard this term before, fear of man. Fear of man means I'm scared of the persecution, the suffering, the rejection that could come from another person. Right? Could come from their disapproval. Fear of man comes in when you know you've got to talk to somebody about something hard, but you don't want to do it because you're afraid that if you say something hard, they won't like you. Fear of man comes in whenever you know God is calling you to do something, but you won't do it because you don't want those people to reject you or dislike you. Fear of man has become a respectable sin in the church. We've confused fear of man with being nice to people. But unfortunately, the fear of man is just as dangerous to the church as sexual morality or alcohol or drug abuse or anything else. It may be more dangerous because it's more subtle. And what Jesus is saying is to embrace Him means to reject the fear of man. The fear of man causes us to, um, to not love our neighbor the way we should. You know, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor, but a fear of rejection keeps us from going over and actually engaging them in a conversation and talking to them. 
Jesus calls us to love the lost. He calls us to seek the lost. But that fear of man, maybe the fear of our Christian friends, keeps us from going and talking to immoral people. I mean, we had to ask ourselves, would we have actually embraced Mary? Would we have actually talked to her? If you see a, a pregnant, unwed mother on the street, does the Gospel call you to go engage with her and talk to her? Or do you stay away and think, I don't really know if I can talk to her. I don't really know if I can associate with her. We fear rejection at work if we say, I'm only going to work a certain number of hours. I was sitting next to a man on a plane uh, the other day who said that he works 80 hours a week. And I just wondered, is that really necessary? Or are you afraid to go to your boss and say, I will not work 80 hours a week for the sake of the gospel in my family? And he claimed to be a Christian. Fear of man causes us to um, maybe agonize or reject the, the good way that God wants us to educate our children. I'm not picking any specific way. You should educate your children based on conscience, but you shouldn't not educate your people, your children that way because of the fear of man. If the Lord's calling you to homeschool, then you homeschool. If the Lord's calling you to private school, then you private school. If the Lord's calling you to public school, then you public school. But you don't make that decision based on the fear of man. You make that decision based on godly wisdom and conviction, whatever that may be. It's the fear of man that causes us to reject what God is calling us to do. It's the fear of man that faced Joseph. It's the fear of man that faced us. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how can we embrace Christ and live with courage and not be rejected and not be scared of the fear of man? Well, I think there are three aspects of this passage that give us the confidence of Christ. The first one we see in verse 22. Look back at the text. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew put this in here because he wants us to know that this story fulfills a prophecy. I'm going to talk about that prophecy in just a minute. But right now I want to talk about this name. Jesus was Emmanuel. That means God with us. That means that the holy, transcendent Lord of time, space, and dimension came down to be near to you and I. To be close to us. Matthew uses, he quotes Jesus using the same terminology two more times in the book of Matthew. Do you know, do you know where they are? Matthew 18.20 For where two or more gather in my name, there am I with them. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Jesus says He will be with us as we take the Gospel out. And then we find out in the rest of the New Testament that when we become a Christian, that the Holy Spirit is poured inside of us. And we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. When Jesus came, He came to bring God here on earth with us. And as His followers, we have God with us. And so when we go into any conversation, any situation where we feel the fear of man, we need not do that because we know that God is with us. We know that we don't go in alone. I had a student uh, back in Tulsa who was scared to go to school. He had a social anxiety disorder. He was scared of all the students around him. And that school was the, was the, most, um, the, the most rejecting place for him every day. And uh, I'll never forget, his father once told me 
that he would take him to school. And every day he would say, Son, I am leaving you here at school, but you are not alone. God is with you when you walk into that school. Where is the place where you face rejection? Where is the place where you face scorn? What's the situation of the issue? Like that student, you have to remind yourself that you don't go in there alone. You go with God. He's with you. You know what God's favorite preposition is? With. God wants to be with you. God loves to be with you. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with you. You have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you wherever you go. He goes with you. So we can live confidently because we know that God is with us. Secondly, we can live confidently because we know the battle has been won. This prophecy in verse 22 comes actually from Isaiah 7 and 8. And it comes in the context of a battle. You see, there was Ahaz, and Ahaz was the king of Judah. That was the southern kingdom of God's people. Well, while Ahaz was the king, there was another king named Pekin from Israel and Rezin from Syria, and they were going to gang up and come and attack Jerusalem. Well, God sent Isaiah the prophet to go to Ahaz and say, look, I am going to defeat these two kingdoms. They will not defeat you. And I want you, I'm so confident that, that I'm going to defeat them, I want you to ask for a sign. I want you to test me. You know what Ahaz said? He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a sign. And instead of trusting the Lord to fight the battle, he went and asked Assyria to come and help him. Well, when he did that, God said, I'm going to give you a sign. And guess what he said? He uttered this prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God said in the midst of that battle, the sign that you're going to win is a virgin is going to have a child, and that baby's going to come, and it's going to be God. Now Matthew is saying that that prophecy is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Now, those two things don't make a lot of sense. A war that was fought thousands of hundreds, thousands of years earlier, and now the sun is just now coming. What was God saying? God was saying that Jesus was coming to be a sign that God was going to win a great battle. God was going to win the battle over sin and death and Satan, and He was going to do it through Jesus. And that for us is a sign that God has won the battle for us. No matter what you're scared of, when you go into those conversations, you can know that all of your greatest enemies have been defeated. Sin and death and Satan have been defeated by Jesus. They were defeated as soon as He was born. Why did Herod want to kill Jesus so badly? Why did Satan want to kill Jesus so badly? Because they knew that whenever He showed up, it was game over. And it was. When Jesus was born, it was game over. You need not fear rejection from any man, any woman, or any situation because the ultimate battle has already been fought and won by Jesus Christ. And that gives us confidence to go out and live the life that we know we're supposed to live in Christ because we know we can't be defeated. Imagine how you would play a game, how much differently you would play if you knew that you were going to win. You'd play it carefree, you'd play it strong, fast, strategic, confidently 
because you know that you had nothing, nothing to lose. That's how we ought to live the Christian life every day because the battle's been won. So we see that we can have confidence because God's with us. We see that we can have confidence because the battle's been won. And we can also have confidence because our sins have been forgiven. If you look back down at the text, it says that, that Joseph is supposed to name Jesus, supposed to name the child Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. This was the mission of Jesus from his birth. It was to come and save his people from their sins. And for a lot of us, that fear of rejection comes from the shame that we feel over our sins. We feel ashamed of our sin, and so therefore we're afraid to go out and actually live out the life that Christ has called us to live. Think about it. Have you ever thought, I can't go to that community group because of what I did? Have you ever thought, I can't serve the church because, uh, you know, I did that thing uh, over there and I just, I can't, I don't feel like I can go help out. Have you ever felt the shame of sin and the guilt of sin keeping you from engaging in an evangelistic conversation with your neighbor? The Gospel says that those sins have been forgiven, that you have been cleansed, that your guilt and shame has been taken away through the person and work of Jesus. And so you can go out and live a life in Christ that you're called to live. Uh, recently, I had to counsel a student who uh, he was going through a breakup. He, he needed to go through a breakup, but he wasn't there yet. And he had, um, he had been sexually immoral with his girlfriend. And so he came to me and he was crushed because he'd been sexually immoral and he thought the solution was to get married to her. And I said, brother, like, don't turn one bad mistake into two bad mistakes. Okay? Just because you were immoral with her doesn't mean that you should marry her. Because it, it would have been a really bad decision for him to marry her. It was clear. We both agreed it was clear that he should marry her. But he was allowing unforgiveness to cloud his judgment and possibly cause him to make another bad decision. We can't do that. Even if we sin, we can't, we can't, let, our, we can't let our sins cut us off from community. Right? If, if you're struggling with sexual addiction, you cannot let that cut you off from community. You've got to experience the forgiveness of the Gospel and engage in community. One of the number one signs that people are struggling with pornography is that they refuse to engage in community. Pornography cuts people off from community. They feel so much shame. They feel so much guilt. They totally withdraw. And yet the Gospel says that it's only in community that we can experience and find that forgiveness that we need through Christ. That we, we experience physical, uh, emotional, relational connection that we need. So don't let unforgiveness keep you from the church, keep you from the body, keep you from living out the life of Christ. So we can live confidently because uh, the battle's been won. We can live confidently because uh, God is with us. And we can live confidently because we have been forgiven of our sins. And it's that confidence that radically changes us, that transforms us, and creates in us more courageous people. And we see that happen to Joseph here in the text, right? In verses 24 and 25, what does it say? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, 
and he called his name Jesus. Look at the courage of Joseph. He knew what it was going to take. He knew what it was going to cost him. He knew the public shame and public rejection that he was accepting by taking Mary and adopting Jesus. But he did it. I don't know how much he believed of the Gospel. I don't know how much he understood of the angel. But I have to believe he believed enough. He believed something about the salvation of Jesus Christ and this good news that led him to walk courageously and do what God had called him to do. And for us, it's the same thing. Grace, the good news, the grace of the Gospel, always leads to obedience. Right? We have this rejection, this fear of man that causes rejection. God has forgiven us of that fear of man. God has uh, taken away our sins. And that ought to lead us into obedience. That ought to lead us into those evangelistic conversations. That ought to lead us to change our work schedule. That ought to lead us to uh, kids. That ought to lead us into a greater obedience of your parents. If you're not afraid of being rejected by your peers, then you can actually come home at curfew. Or you can actually trust that your parents are good if they give you a curfew, if they love you enough to do that. That Once that fear of rejection has been defeated, that leads into obedience. The Gospel always leads into obedience. Grace always leads into obedience. On the way home from training, I had a conversation with, uh, with one of the other campus ministers. And we were talking about the, the perpetual balance between preaching grace and preaching the law. And he was talking about one pastor who'd said, if it's a grace passage, you've got to turn up the dial and preach grace. And if it's a law passage, you've got to turn up the dial and preach law. And if you don't do that, then you're going to leave people unbalanced. And he actually said that if you continually preach grace, that will make people cynical. And I said, I disagree. <laughs> I said, I think preaching grace leads to obedience. And that leads to hope. That's what Jesus Christ says. Jesus Christ says, take up your cross and follow me, and that will lead to what? Life. It's Jesus' cross that empowers us to take up our cross, and that leads to life. It leads to hope. Now the problem is, we look at Joseph and we say, well, we've got to be like Joseph. We've got to be courageous. And that's what I just said. But will we perfectly be courageous? Are we always going to be willing to face rejection? No. Are we always going to do the right thing? No. Are we always going to defeat the fear of man? No. We're not. That's when we come back to grace. That's when we realize that we need the true and greater Joseph. And Jesus is the true and greater Joseph. Because what? Why is that? Like Joseph, God called Jesus to take an unfaithful wife. You know who that unfaithful wife is? The church. A body of people that cheat on him over and over and over again. And God said, Jesus, I want you to go down there and I want you to love that church. They're unfaithful. Like Joseph, God called Jesus to bear the public shame necessary to make that bride his. What was that public shame? What did it cost Jesus to take us as His bride? The cross. There was nothing more sinful, more shameful out there than the cross. And Jesus, for the glory that was set before Him, endured the cross. You know what that glory was? That glory was having the church 
as his bride. And through the true and greater Joseph, you know what happens to us? We become adopted children. Jesus as our father, the church as our mother, and us as the adopted sons and daughters of God. That leads to hope. That leads to resurrection, restoration. That leads to life. And if you know that that God the Father has adopted you into the family, then you can face rejection from anybody else and it will not matter because you know your Heavenly Father loves you and accepts you. I'm going to close with a great illustration I saw of this uh, this week, actually. I didn't see it. I heard it. I was having dinner with some of my family members in uh, Denver. They're they're kind of in-laws. And they they just, uh, one of them just got married and, and so brought a new girl into the family. And this new girl's name is Maggie. And Maggie told me the story about her father's adoption. And it was just beautiful. It's a great picture of this. Um, she said that, when her, that her dad was adopted. And he had grown, he'd grown most of his life not knowing his adopted parents. Well, whenever she was a teenager, Maggie, her dad decided that he was going to pursue his birth mother. So he pursued his birth mother. He looked through microfish film and all these files and everything and it took years of struggle but he finally he found his birth mom and he went to see her and they had this great reunion this great this great connection in their relationship and what he learned was this that she had come from a very religious family and she had gotten pregnant very young and she could not bear the shame of telling them that she was pregnant so she unknowingly in secret ran off had an adoption, and gave up this son for adoption, and the family never knew that she had the baby. Well, now, fast forward, as a grown adult, now she has her son there, and her son wants to meet his family. Guess what she had to do? For the first time, she had to go in front of her family and say, I had a child, and I didn't tell you about it. And she did it. And the only way she could do it, the only way that she could bear the weight of that rejection was knowing that she was adopted by her Heavenly Father. That she was loved and accepted by Him. And so she went and she told her family, I have this child, and guess what? You're going to get to meet Him. And now, over Christmas break, Maggie and her new husband, Graham, and her her dad, and the whole family are going to get together for Christmas and celebrate. Why? Because... Jesus brings life. Because Jesus restores family. Because Jesus adopts us into His family and He allows us to go out and love and accept others. Because Jesus covers our shame. He covers our guilt. He brings us into community. He rejuvenates us, revitalizes us, changes us. He transforms us from cowardly people, from orphans, into sons and daughters with courage.